This is Geek Gab with your host, John Bryan, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, May 6, 2017. Today, we are going to be talking about the brand new Marvel movie that just hit theaters this week. We are going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But before we do that, let me give my co-hosts a chance to say hello to you, our audience. John, how was your week? Hello, everybody. It's been good. Uh, lots of great feedback from our other shows. Uh, lots of great gaming in. Uh, really looking forward to talking about this movie today. How about you, Brian? Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. Um, had a good week. So the, the premiere of my own Geek Gab Gaiden show on the books and uh, a lot of positive response and a lot of fun doing it. Uh, we're going to be doing another one this coming Wednesday, but uh, more on that later. don't want to steal any of our thunder today. Um, I got to tell you what happened yesterday. Hmm. A couple weeks ago, I dropped my phone um, and so the screen cracked. So I had to take it in to get it replaced. Um, I had to take it into the Apple store, which is uh, not a little drive away, but went in uh, and made an appointment. They said, well, you know, you can come back about half an hour before you make an appointment. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I need to talk to them about something else. Well, it turns out in between waiting for an appointment and waiting for my phone to get fixed, I spent about, uh, about an hour and a half at the Apple store. I spent so long at the Apple store that I made friends on the staff. One guy referred me to their business program, their small business program, which uh, packages uh, equipment and programs and other stuff with discounts for small businesses, because apparently we qualify here at GeekGab. We now qualify as a small business. Um, and the other guy, uh, subscribed to the podcast while I was standing right there in the store. Uh, and I... <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, while well, I was out yesterday, I also spent, you know, 10, 15 minutes talking with Brian, setting up Wednesday's uh, show. Um, so while I was there, I got somebody to subscribe to the podcast, and uh, I got a referral for small business, and I uh, also got a picture of the Geek Gab itself being pulled up on one of the demo TVs in the store. So, yeah, it was time well spent. Uh, I also went shopping for a couple of shirts because, hey, you know, I was there for half an hour and a half. What else am I going to do? <laughs> All right, well, that was my Friday. Now, by the way, they, they fixed my phone for free. It would have cost $150 for the screen, but they fixed it for free at the Apple Store. So I, I felt like I got away with a good deal. That's incredible. I was not upset at that at all. Not upset by that at all. So, um, Guardians of the Galaxy. It was awful. It was terrible. You should burn down the theater and never go back. No, I'm kidding. What did you think about the movie, Brian? Okay, well, my opinion is is complex, but we just simply say it wasn't as good as the first one. See, it, it had a bit of sequelitis. Go ahead. 
I I thought that it was better than the first one. I thought that it was faster paced, that it had a mo more coherent story, that it had uh, a lot of interesting characters, and yet it didn't feel like there were too many. It didn't feel like uh, there weren't so many that you couldn't keep track of them. They managed to make them very distinct, so you always knew which faction somebody belonged to, but also uh, the named characters, the important characters, you knew who they were. What about you, John? I'll tell you what. I really enjoyed watching the movie. Uh, I'm having trouble judging whether it was better or worse than the uh, than the first one. Uh, what I, I think you're right about the characters, DW, but I think that's because they really boiled down most of the other characters. Um, I think one note is the appropriate term here. Uh, but... In, uh, you know, just like the first movie and the other ensemble Marvel movies, you know, the notes all come together and make something funny and entertaining. And you and I sort of enjoyed the experience the whole way through. Let me uh, let me give you some highlights for me. Um, what was the name of the race with the gold skin? I can't even remember their name. The Sovereign. The Sovereign. Yes, that is it. Okay. I thought the Sovereign were were funny. I thought that their concept for being the bad guys or some of the bad guys in the movie was great. It made perfect sense why they would do what they would, did and, and also it made sense why Rocket would do what he did to kind of kick this whole thing off. Um, I thought Kurt Russell, of course, like I said on the show, I think just a couple weeks ago, Kurt Russell elevates any material he's given uh, and he knocked this one out of the park. He just did a brilliant job with it um the new character of mantis um played by a french actress palm clementius apologies i've probably grotesquely mispronounced that um she was she was great i thought she did a good job a supporting job and all of the other five guardians of the galaxy rocket groot gamora star lord and drax they all hit the right notes for their characters and they tried to develop them a bit to move them out of where they were in the last movie and you got more of what each character was all about which makes it a good sequel but at the same time they also developed each character a little bit more and I think Drax stole the show it, <laughs> every scene he was in he just picked up and walked away with it he was Drax you mean you mean Drax I, I mean, you could disagree more. <laughs> that was uh, my biggest problem with it. I, I, I was going to say, I think the reason why he did, or the reason why he it, 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 you perceived that is because he was completely superfluous. He, he, they're just like, we, we better have a funny Drax moment so that people remember that he's in this movie. Yeah, the, the strength of Drax in the first one was, he was the ultimate straight man. Remember, it was explained that his entire species didn't understand metaphors or figures of speech and they just completely dropped that so now for no reason at all he not only understands it but he is joking and like cracking wise left and right and the the movie is an ensemble of goofballs in search of a straight man and they never find one and i suspect the reason is because dave batista was the breakout character of the the first one his agent almost certainly got on the horn to disney and was like look 
we, we want to give my boy like 20% more dialogue. We want to expand his role and expand his range. So, I don't know, I, I smell like some dealing behind the scenes to expand his character, but I think it ended up destroying the character. But that wasn't a big deal, because you know what? The the scenes were funny. I, I thought they were hilarious, even though I wasn't worried about consistency of characters or anything like that. I thought the humor was dissonant. It just, it didn't work for me. It was just, it was, they really took the spaghetti approach. Well, you know what, you know what caused that is that they, the only thing that I really uh, would even complain about is that the story was, they didn't really bother telling the story so much. They, they spent a lot of time on um, asides and sight gags uh, with, you know, the important plot things are happening in one or two places, but, you know, let's go back and, and watch what's happening with Rocket Raccoon in this forest, right? And, and hilarity ensues, or, uh, you know, let's linger on this, after the main characters have sort of left, let's linger on this conversation with uh, Drax and this other alien, uh, because, you know, we've got a couple of jokes to, to sell. And the scene ended up being really funny, so I didn't mind, but when they got back to the action, um, I recognized, hey, wait, that, that last 30 seconds was pretty much a complete waste of everyone's time, but at least we enjoyed it. <laughs> and uh, to answer uh, Bradford Walker from the chat, I'm not saying that Dave Bautista is a bad actor. No, he's incredibly good. I mean, who would have thought that he'd be one of these guys who comes you know, out, out of wrestling and turns out to be a, a natural physical actor? And he is. Uh, he's, he's great at physical acting. That's what he needs to do. We'll contrast that with The Rock. I mean, The Rock was such a, a, a an electrifying presence in wrestling that you knew that it would translate over. Like, this this guy can be a movie star. Uh, and he did. But Bautista was totally different. You had no idea that was he had that in him. Exactly. So now that we got the now that we got the complaints out of the way, we, I'm confused we, though. Uh huh. I don't know how you can say that a movie entertains you solidly for some period of time, and yet at the same time it was wasted. That I mean, seriously, that confuses me. I do not understand that. Well, allow me to clarify. What in terms of progressing the narrative and and sort of the 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 scene in terms of the narrative was a waste. It wasn't a waste. It wasn't really a waste of the audience's time because it was entertaining. You're right. Uh, so does that clear it up? Um, okay, I understand the point you're making, but I also don't think that that... Uh, I'm not defending every scene in the movie, but that one specific scene moved the action forward because it showed um, it showed Mantis becoming partial to, to Drax and partial to the crew, which prepares... Uh, which prepared her character for some of the other choices she made later in the movie. Without that moment, any later action she took would seem completely out of the blue. See that? If it's quiet, it's because I'm thinking about that. <laughs> I, think you I think you might be right there. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that there weren't, you know... I'm not saying there weren't um, superfluous moments in the movie, but they kept it moving really, really quickly and didn't uh, 
there were no at least as far as I can remember, there were no clunker scenes. I remember a few clunker lines. I mean, if I was to complain, they have Nebula in the movie, and the last, I don't know, 25% of the movie, the last 20% of the movie, there's several characters whose dialogue is completely on the notes. They, like, take exactly what's in their heart and exactly what's in their mind and just say it out loud, and normal people don't do that. And as a writer, you're absolutely supposed to avoid... Um, on the nose dialogue like that and nebula's nebula's motivation just had me rolling my eyes um i mean i understand i understand it i understand why they did it but i i, I literally sighed out loud when she announced her motivation to the world i was just like oh please don't they kind of ruined a great character in nebula admittedly she's a bit uh, in last in the last movie, in the first movie, and she's a little bit bigger part in this one, but they kind of ruined her because she's no longer the murderous, devoted badass that she was. Now she's kind of kind of a little bit pathetic is the problem. So that was a problem for me. Yeah, and the 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 root running gag totally fell flat. So I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, I'd agree. Every scene, on the whole, basically works. There are no real wasted scenes. But yeah, the problem is with the dialogue. It, it really is. Um, but wait, wait, you said the what running gag was didn't work? The you know the roots aren't ripe yet. Where she keeps oh yeah, that was, oh that was awful. <laughs> yeah, that 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 joke was a flop. That was, <laughs> Even. We even saw the payoff coming, like in the theater, and nobody laughed. It was just like, oh, at the at the punchline. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, they they did have uh, great characters who were just bit parts. Uh, Sylvester Stallone delivered. Um, he's he's just a solid good actor, and he delivered exactly the performance you needed from the character he was playing. Um, he's a pro. Yeah. And it was a nice culmination of Yondu's character arc in the movie uh, what involves Sylvester Stallone at the end. We're, we're treading on spoiler ground here. We're not getting into spoilers, so we want to kind of dance around it. Yeah, um, so, so let me let me address that to make this, to make the spoiler thing easier. Yondu is the the blue skin guy with the thing on his head where he... You're going to have to be more specific. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the guy who shoots the magic arrow, who sort of uh, sort of raised Star Lord, and he was mostly a you know an antagonist in the first movie, where he he actually plays a really big part in this movie, and that's why he keeps coming up, uh, and so he has a really long arc, uh, more the most interesting in my opinion, of the whole uh, of the whole cast. Oh, totally. I uh, let me tell you. Um... One thing the movie did disappoint me on, and I see what they were going for and why they did it, but I think it was a mistake. One of the best things about the original movie was the soundtrack. Agreed? Oh, no question. And I think that in many cases in the original movie, 
the titles and the lyrics of the songs they were using didn't really have a strong relationship to the th scenes they were in or the characters or what was happening, but that didn't matter. They were great, great, great songs that were from the you know 70s, 80s, so on and so forth, and they really, really perked up the movie because they were genuine hits. Even people who didn't don't listen to classic rock may have heard these at one point or another and they're just good songs beside really i didn't i found myself going I, i've never heard this song before there's more country fried rock more country fried rock additional country fried rock okay like 80s new wave song i've heard that one and i the soundtrack totally fell flat for me it was the biggest disappointment of the movie the reason why is because they didn't concentrate on picking the best songs they could, the most popular songs they could, really, really big breakout hits. Instead, if you look at the titles of the songs, and I did, I sat through the credits, um, if you look at the titles of the song, all of the song titles, all of the song subjects have to do with the action that's occurring on screen when they played them. They tried to change these songs from a greatest hits album into an actual like musical soundtrack, a background soundtrack. And it okay. just didn't work because the songs weren't as good as the songs in the first movie. And there's tons of music out there. They did not run out of good 70s music in the first movie. I, I will tell you, folks, I lived through the 70s. The 70s were god-awful, okay? The clothes were ugly. The hair was ugly, the glasses were ugly, the countertops were ugly, the refrigerators were ugly. Absolutely everything in the 70s sucked except music. Music in the 70s was awesome. They came up, and don't get me wrong, there was bad music. There always is, but the 70s right. had absolutely legendary music. And there is so much good stuff that you can mine from that decade, and they just didn't do it. It was a real disappointment to me. Once I figured out after one or two songs what they were doing, I was just like, oh, okay. Or at least once I figured out that the songs weren't going to be very good, I was like, oh, that's really, I was very disappointed. And then when I saw, you know, they have a discussion at one point of the lyrics to a song and how the lyrics to the song relate to Star-Lord and relate to the other character in the sing. And once I figured out what they were doing, I realized why they sucked, but the songs still sucked. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point. And I think it relates to something you said earlier, which was that the music, too, was really on the nose. Especially the last one that um, Star-Lord listens to on uh, Yandu Zune. So that was a cute touch. But um, it's the... It's the problem that some anime music video makers have, okay? Is that I'm an aficionado of AMVs, and the mediocre ones tend to be when you, you get a song that just describes the action happening on screen, and you try to cut together snippets from anime that show exactly, just act out exactly what's happening in the song. Okay, what you want to do instead is get a song that matches the the feel and the tone and the mood and the theme of what is going on. Like you look if you look at the way that actual music videos are made, they rarely just try to produce like a little opera that complete that exactly acts out what's going on and it feels like what uh, 
the soundtrack for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 tried to do. Uh, yeah, in fact, when they do do that, and right now I'm thinking of Queensryche's Empire video. This oh. video to the song Empire off of the album Empire was exactly reflective of the lyrics in the songs. They'd have a lyric say something, and the images in the music video would mirror it exactly. And uh, Jeffrey Tate, who's the lead singer of the band, loved it. He's like, oh, finally, someone who came in and, and put what we want on the screen. I'm like, dude, yeah, but it's boring. It's a terrible video. It's That's awful. A, All of your other music videos are much, much better. So it's the exact same thing. If, if, if what's on the screen exactly mirrors what's being said in the video, what's in the lyrics or whatever, then it's, it's going to be boring because you already have the lyrics. You're already listening to the lyrics. You're hearing what they're saying. You don't need to have... Um, exact matches. I think a really good example of music that whose emotion and evocativeness matches the scene are the Top Gun movie. And in specific, Highway to the Danger Zone, which get played at least twice during the movie, you know, they're not on the highway. They're not driving cars. They're in airplanes taking off. And yet, it's got that thumping rock and roll, that 80s rock and roll. It's got Kenny Loggins singing. You know, it's awesome. Highway to the Danger Zone because they're taking off in planes and it's kind of dangerous. Even if they're not going into combat, you understand it's all about machismo. It's all about, you know, testosterone. It's all about aggression in these fighter jets and these fighter pilots. And the song matches the emotions of the scene while the details of the lyrics have nothing to do with what's going on in the movie. That song was written by Kenny Loggins, Ferrari mechanic, by the way. Look at the lyrics and you can totally tell. Kenny Loggins is a Ferrari mechanic? No, it was written by his, oh, by Ferrari, his Ferrari mechanic. Okay. Car. Yeah. I did not know that. Kenny Loggins is, is, uh, had a lot of great stuff during the 80s, and, and Howie to the Danger Zone might be one of his best. Uh, he also, by the way, folks, this is completely aside. It has nothing to do with the rest of the show. Kenny Loggins is also the DJ on the classic rock station in Grand Theft Auto V, so if you want, and they play Highway to the Danger Zone. So if you're ever in Grand Theft Auto V and you're listening to Highway to the Danger Zone, the DJ who comes on before and after it is Kenny Loggins. I didn't know that. <laughs> That's cool. Um, I, I want to go back. I did want to mention something really that I really liked uh, at the beginning of the movie. I think they sort of they learned from Deadpool because the movie opens with this really clever uh, sight gag. And all the best jokes in this movie are sight gags. Um, while, I thought, uh, while I thought Groot was sort of uh, my least favorite character in the movie... The movie opens with a great scene that, that showcases Groot dancing and, and hilarious things are happening in the background, uh, which which really sets the tone for the whole movie uh, the right way, I think. I thought that was really enjoyable. Um, yeah, that first, that first scene really sold me on the movie. I thought it was great. Um, the Sovereign were interesting. I loved their attitude. Uh, I love the byplay between the Sovereign's leader and Star-Lord. I thought that was funny. I thought that that, that established the characters right from the get-go. And, and I was thoroughly entertained the entire movie. 
Um, there was not, there were, again, there were some bad moments once I realized what was bad with the movie. Uh, Nebula's, the end of her character arc was just cringe inducing. Um, but there weren't any parts that I hated. And there weren't any parts that really dragged on too much that that weighed down on me. Yeah, the pacing was good. They they nailed that. Uh, so so uh, I I guess y'all enjoyed the movie too much. I want to bring up a theme that's occurred in the past few movie episodes. Gamora, how much did her unstoppable girl power bother you? Or was it all uh, good fun? I will tell you why it didn't bother me. Because she is a an alien, she's not human, and it actually shows her not just kicking butt in combat, but it shows her at one point lifting something super super heavy above her head. It's established that she is, she has strength far beyond even a normal human or even a strong human. You know, she does something that would be almost impossible for the vast majority of people, and so it's like um, She Hulk. If you cast a kind of a skinny woman for She-Hulk, in fact, if you could almost translate Gamora directly into She-Hulk, green skin, black hair, the whole nine yards, and she doesn't have to be a huge muscle, she doesn't have to be Drax or a female Drax for you to buy that She-Hulk is She-Hulk and super strong. The, what really bothers me about the action girl stereotype is when a completely normal wayfish human being with no supernatural powers, no cyberware, no combat drugs, no magic, is shown to be absolutely destroying people who are so much more muscular than she is. Um, Buffy, as an example, had superpowers. She was a superhero, and so that's why she could do the things that she does. But these random, you know, random spies and assassins who infest like agents of shield had one and they infest a bunch of other movies you can't believe it because there's no reason why they're that strong gamora at least had a reason she's an alien race and they established that outside of combat she still has strength it's not just that she you know tears people up in combat yeah you make a good point which is that if you know, you've got a a, a mutant or, you know, a bionic woman or someone who's mystically enhanced, you know, something that elevates a character above the norm. It makes sense. But when she is fighting normal people or with a group of normal people, the problem with uh, Gamora's girl power syndrome is it totally obviates Drax. Like, in, literally, in one scene, she completely makes him a non-entity. Right at the beginning, in fact. And that, that annoyed me. She's also, and aside from the physical aspect of it, which is fine for all the reasons Daddy Warpig said, but if I recall correctly, she's also never wrong. Yeah. I, I found myself wishing her character wasn't there. I mean, she really didn't add anything. Uh, I found that she and Starlord had no chemistry anymore. Like, all the chemistry they had in the first movie was just gone because we have to make them fight for no reason. Like, I'm bashing my two action figures together just to generate conflict, and it's totally superfluous. 
I'm laughing because, as usual, uh, we've spent like half an hour talking about a movie we all liked and just complained about things. <laughs> I, well, I didn't like it. <laughs> I might be the minority. Um, I, I didn't like it. Did I talk about having to go see um, the Power Rangers movie on the show? Have I talked about that before? Did I do my review of that? I think you did a, a five-minute thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to do a full review of it, but one of the things I notice in the movie is that, and this just happens, every single time they have a race, um, the girl won. When they show people training and sparring in combat, um, the girl always uh, won. Now, they're, all five of them are superheroes. All five of them have super strength. And so if you've got one of the Power Rangers fighting a normal person, then they should, you know, tear them apart. Um, and, and they go to great lengths to establish that super strength. And you saw it in the trailers where they run and jump across this huge ravine. They established that in the movie. So you know they're super strong, super fast, whatever. But the girls never lose ever in the entire power rangers movie uh the only time in fact that a woman loses that's a main character is of course the villain rita repulsa who is female uh and who loses to the power rangers i hope i haven't spoiled the movie folks the power rangers movie win uh, ends with the power rangers winning Okay. See, in, in my mind, Rita Repulsa was always the protagonist. Um, but <laughs> I'm wondering if that is sort of the new implicit rules that Hollywood screenwriters and directors have either deliberately or uh, either for reasons of, you know, ideology or whatever, or for reasons of just sheer survival of not wanting to have uh, people do to them what was done to Joss Whedon over Black Widow. If they just can't ever show a female character being weak, they can't ever show a female character losing, they can't ever show a female character being wrong or being rescued. Um, and there was another movie I saw recently, I can't remember. Oh, no, it was The Force Awakens, where Ray could never be rescued. She was always the one who had to do all the rescuing. John C. Wright has pointed out that, that there is no way to portray a female character and, and satisfy the finger-wagging scolds. So you need to learn that you just don't try. You just write the character, have the character be consistently motivated, portrayed consistently, and, and act logically based on her motivation, and you, you just go. It, it's okay. She can be a person you see, that's the thing. Interesting characters, characters who are people, fail. They have flaws. They have foibles. And the only exception to that I can really think of is Superman. Um, and Superman's biggest flaw sometimes is that he may be a little too willing to forgive enemies. He may be a little too willing to not, uh, you know, to turn the other cheek or whatever, but if you're going to have a female character, she can't always be right. She can't always be the best at everything. And sometimes they actually have to let people help them. See, when you look at the Buffy series, Buffy was wrong all the time. And they showed her being wrong. 
they had whole, a whole season of Buffy showing her being wrong, season six. And she had people to help her all the time. And it became clear that she could not do this by herself. She needed other people. And they had other female characters who were wrong or who had people come and help them. And even though Buffy originated the action girl trope, she wasn't the one-dimensional character that all of the later action girls have turned into. Yeah, agreed. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn that into a, in a different direction, into my preferred direction. I just realized that that's part of the problem at the gaming table that I've had, where players often always want to win, and for me, and I hope for them, that's boring. You know, real characters are going to fail sometimes. Real characters, you don't have to win every d20 roll or, 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 or die roll uh, for the story to be fun and interesting. Right, because sometimes the most fun comes from thinking your way around complications or trying to fix it when you make a hash of things. That's okay, me. Uh, we are out of time, so let's do the announcements, and also, before we do the announcements, uh, final thoughts. Uh, John? Really enjoyable. You know what? Um, despite the flaws narratively and, and uh, with characters, you're going to have fun. You're going to laugh. It's an enjoyable experience. I liked it. Brian? It's fun if you turn your brain off and just munch popcorn, which I can't do. So that's going to skew my recommendation. Um, it, it's okay. It's sequel. A lot of executive meddling. Wait for Blu-ray. Um, I thought the Guardians of the Galaxy was, of course, other than one glaring thing, it was technically excellent. The special effects and everything were absolutely amazing. With one exception, they de-aged Kurt Russell for a short scene. And like um, de-aging... Princess Leia, and like de-aging uh, in the Ant-Man uh, movie, it looked awful. The only de-aging I've ever seen work is Robert Downey Jr. in uh, Age of, or in uh, Civil War. That's the only de-aging I've ever seen work. Every other time it's been awful, and Kurt Russell is no exception. De-aged, he just, there looks something, or there's something wrong with his face. His features are, are soft. It's like they uh, used a Photoshop tool, the blur tool to blur it out, and it looked terrible. Other than that, the movie is technically excellent, absolutely incredible, and I think it's a great movie. I think it's a 96%, 97% movie. If I were giving it a grade in a class, I would say 96%, 97%, take care of these problems for the next paper. Um, I think it's an amazing movie. I enjoyed it thoroughly. If you like the first Guardians of the Galaxy or if you like the other Marvel movies, I'd recommend going and seeing it. It is one of the better Marvel movies. It, it might even jump up into the top five. I'd have to think about that. Uh, maybe see it again. So, announcement Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. Do you want to? You want to do the announcement, Ryan? Sure. On Wednesday, we've got uh, another edition of Geek Gab on the books, and this time it's not just me droning on. We've got not one, not two, but three special guests, including our own Daddy Warpig who has agreed to grace us with his presence. And also, awesome authors, Dragon of the Apocalypse, Nick Cole, 
author of Control Alt Revolt and many other books, and also my own editor and accomplished author in her own right, El Jaji Lamplighter Wright, author of the Prospero series. So that should be a good time. We're going to talk about promoting your books with blog and podcast tours. So you know, take notes. Spring authors are going to give you some actionable advice. Also, just a quick plug to uh, my buddies at the Dead Indicator Film Festival. Uh, they put on a local international film fest of indie horror movies. They're running a Kickstarter right now. I could use your support. You know, if you're if you're tired of Hollywood, you know, forcing the the, the same politics and in, in, in tropes, and you know, on the on the nose dialogue down your throat, you know, support some indies. We'll have the link in the show notes. Um, so, folks, just to remind you, if you haven't heard before, if you subscribe to the show, you're supposed to receive announcements about when we go live and when we schedule shows, stuff like that. Not happening anymore. YouTube has changed their policy, so you have to double secret subscribe in order to get it to fully work. Once you click subscribe, there'll be a little icon shaped like a bell. Just click on the icon shaped like a bell, and then you'll actually get the announcements so you won't miss GeekGab. I have a lot of people... Uh, and seriously, this happens like every week. I've, I have several people who say, oh, man, I missed it. I, I'll have to listen to it later. If you double secret subscribe, you will get announcements in your email inbox as to when GeekGab is going live. Uh, for all of us, by the way, for my show, for the RPG show, um, helmed by John, and for On Books, helmed by Brian. And you can tune right in and listen to the Gab uh, and then participate in the chat in the audience. We've had, uh, We've had a a vigorous discussion going on in the chat today. Not as vigorous as on Brian's show, not as vigorous as on uh, John's show, but very, very vigorous. So, double secret subscribe. Click on the bell icon and you can uh, you can get the announcements. That doesn't do anything for the show, folks. It doesn't make our subscriber numbers go up. It doesn't make us look more impressive or anything. That's just information for you if you want to receive the announcements. That That is solely information for your benefit. We are on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekgab. We are also available on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on the Google Play Store. Just do a search for geekgab. And again, I verified this at the Apple Store. I went up to one of their Apple TV things, did a search for geekgab, and bam, there we were. Right in the middle of the TV. It was awesome. It was great. I could even start the show and started listening to the show right there in the store. It was awesome. So... SoundCloud, iTunes, and the Google Play Store. Do a search for GeekGab, and you can subscribe to our podcast. It's the same show. It just allows you to download it to your iDevice, download it to your Android device, and listen to us on the go if you can't listen live. Or, of course, all of our stuff is archived here on YouTube, and I downloaded the episodes to my computer just in case YouTube does something funky. We have playlists now for the main Geek Gab show. We have a playlist for the RPG show, and this afternoon I'm going to be adding another playlist for On the Books. So you can go in and check out those and just listen to one after another episode of those if that's really what you're interested in. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are checking out for today. We're done. We've discussed it. It's over. Go home. Thanks for tuning in. And even though we're leaving, even though we are leaving you bereft and brokenhearted, don't worry. We will be back.